Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Ankle on Producers. I am your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, I am so grateful you tune in and do this life thing with me of all the things to listen to and watch to in a world that is so full of stuff trying to grab our attention. I am endlessly grateful that you choose to tune in and that you find value in these conversations. It's why I do it. It's such a great privilege that I get to share space with the incredible producers who come on the show and share a little bit of their wisdom and of their journeys with us. And so nothing makes me happier to know that you're out there listening, finding value in these conversations and letting me know that they are helping you. There's been a couple of people in my life that recently have made huge career leaps and have massive wins that came their way. And some of those people I met through the podcast. And it's really true that when you can start to celebrate and cheer for the success of others, when you can start to help others reach their goals, their wins become your wins. And that's why we do it. That's why I'm here to create community for all of us. And despite the challenges, be here to hold up a mirror to all of us so we can go, yeah, I'm pretty badass. I've done all this stuff. Speaking of badass, this week's episode is with an incredible woman who is going to inspire you all over the place. Jennifer Westfall is the founder and CEO at Wavelength, an Emmy award-winning film studio committed to developing, producing, and financing films that tell great fucking stories. She previously worked on political campaigns and engaged in philanthropic work, raising funds for various individuals and events. Then one day, after she had raised and homeschooled her now three adult sons, including one on the autism spectrum, once the youngest had left for college, she looked around her empty nest and said to her husband, I'm going to start a film company. And so she did. She made that leap into producing in her 50s. And that's when Wavelength was born which makes it even more impressive that she was named one of Variety's 10 producers to watch in 2020. Since then, Jennifer has executive produced countless award-winning documentary and independent films, including Knock Down the House, Won't You Be My Neighbor, and Emmy winners Feels Good Man and Athlete A. She also fosters female talent, first-time filmmakers, and creators of color via the Wave Grant program, which gives $5,000 to recipients to put towards their short. I highly recommend you check it out if you are getting your feet wet in your sea of creativity. I will link it in the show notes. I believe they're closed for submissions at the moment, but will be opening up again in the fall. So yes, she's truly a remarkable lady who is doing the work, putting her money where her mouth is, and actually making a change in our business. I'll let you take away your takeaways, but a few of my takeaways from the chat include navigating ageism, how motherhood and politics prepared her to be a producer, and what financiers expect and want filmmakers to know. So without further ado, here's Jennifer. It is so exciting to have you on the show. You know, there's been a lot of people that I've had on the show that I've like pursued for a long time. And then it takes, you know, sometimes years to get them on for the stars to align. But I love that the synchronicity of I had heard about the wave grant, and I had been researching it. And then your publicist actually reached out and I was like, this is crazy because I had just reached out to your team to be like, we should talk about this. You guys are doing some really interesting stuff. And at Color Creative, there seems to be synergy. So I love that that's how you were put into my world. Um, I love like discovering other women in our business and being like, you've been here this whole time and we've never crossed paths. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Um, I would just love for you to take us to the beginning of your journey of how you discovered that you maybe wanted to be a producer. And I love the fact that your journey in this particular field started when you were 50, because our business is so focused on 30 under 30, 25 under 25, 18 under 18, fetus under fetus. You know, it's like, like it's so much age focused. And I, I think it's incredible and applaud that pivot into this. And so with all of that said, yeah, take us to the beginning of, of that journey. That's such a great question, Carolina, and I really appreciate you um, starting there. Uh, the, the short answer to how did I get involved in the film industry is I actually had nothing better to do. <laughs> I had gotten myself to a place in my life. I was 52 years old. I had, you know, in the course of that time, raised three children to adulthood. Uh, uh, they had all gone off to college. 
we ran homeschooling programs for all three of our kids. We had an autism program for our middle son, which we now have a film about um, that's just been released called Let Me Be Me. My husband has built a a company that was very small when he started, very big when he retired. Um, That took an enormous amount of time. So I like to say to people, he ran the company, he built the company, and I did everything else. So in a lot of ways, I've been executive producing for a very long time. <laughs> like I said, I ran all these programs. I've raised untold amounts of money for nonprofit organizations. I've served on boards of nonprofits. I've organized boards of nonprofits. Obviously, like a lot of moms, you know, I was very involved with all of my kids, um, you know, extracurricular activities. And even though they were homeschooled, I had a very uh, specific process to homeschooling, which is more about, it was very scheduled, but it was also very, you know, flexible with their uh, likes and, and, and passions. So, so you take that period of time and, and, uh, it, and women who've been in this place where, you know, you're, uh, I did not have a career outside the home, very supportive of all women who do. I was never anyone who said you should, you should homeschool, you should stay at home. I felt like that's every woman's decision and, and it's important that it stays there. Um, but at that moment in my life, when my youngest went to college, um, I realized that this was a huge shift in my life. And I just couldn't see myself at that point, just becoming a full-time sitting on boards, you know, um, you know, doing what I was kind of half liking to do. Mm. So I gave myself a year to say, no stress. Let's just see what comes along. And my youngest son went to Drexel University into the film program. And so whenever we did talk, he would constantly talk about all documentary films and making films. And, you know, we, we, I was a huge lover of indie films forever. And I said to him one day, you know, I could do a documentary film and we have this story about our son. I'm wondering if that would work. And so we, I started to explore that a little bit and there we go. It just, I kind of thought, uh, let me see how this goes. We got a, uh, I got a little involved with Sundance. I got involved with this great documentary called Sam Ben. Uh, and it just kind of went from there. I went to Catalyst, met people. And all of a sudden I thought, I think I found my Dharma. I think I could bring all this skill I have to telling great fucking stories. And, and that's what we do at Wavelength. And that's sort of the genesis of how we got to that space. Um, yeah. I love that. When you were embarking on the doc about your son, what in you made you go, yeah, I think I can figure this out. Did you have an idea or an assumption of what you thought producing, being a producer of a doc, what it was going to be like, and then the reality of what it was on the other side? Or did that concept, that idea kind of match for you? I would say that the the growth we had in in putting together this film was the growth I had in becoming an, uh, an executive producer, producer, uh, you know, and some, and in one film I've directed, um, all of that was on the ground, hands on experience. I mean, imagine I'm the mother, um, I'm, uh, the, um, producer, I'm the storyteller, um, because I'm the one that knows the story from my vantage point. Um, but I'm also producing and, Yes, along the way, we did have a sense of what we wanted the film to be. Um, but with a documentary film, and you know this as well as I do, sometimes that takes time. Sometimes that yeah. takes shifts in mm-hmm. terms of people working on the film, looking at different music. We've changed the animation. Uh, we changed it twice. So uh, it was because it was such a close personal story. I really wanted to make sure we took the time to tell it right. And yeah. in Kyle's view, we had to be. Uh, accurate. We had to tell the truth. So that yeah. that was a lot of um, uh, producing that I had to do, m- m- you know, finessing relationships, uh, walking through stuff. Joe Plummer, my my business partner and, and, and uh, you know, producer on this film, like, you know, really, it took a lot. It took seven years to tell the story. And seven years. And I, yeah. yeah. And I'm really happy we took the time because it's turned out we're very proud of the film. But it, yeah. You know, you know, it's, oh yeah, it's, it's a grind. I mean, I, it's, I I think that's, thank you for sharing that because my first feature experience was actually a documentary called Autism in Love that 
really was one of those projects that was sort of, and like you, I didn't have a child on the spectrum. I didn't have any family members on the spectrum. I was sort of the key demo for it because I was completely ignorant to what autism even was. Like I thought it was like, how is this different from Down syndrome? Like I literally had no concept, no contact with it. And it became an entry point of like how many other people don't know anything about this unless you've lived with it or had a loved one be impacted by it, that how can we navigate telling a story from that lens? And I thought it was interesting that something that could be perceived as a hindrance, oh, I don't know anything about this, actually became our advantage with that particular project, right? And I share that because when people are starting out and and maybe you have a vision of the thing you want to do and it's really specific, like in my journey, every time I've leaned into things that felt a little off center or complete, like maybe even like a, a, a tangent from where I thought I had to be, it's always led me someplace so much greater than I could have ever, ever imagined. And it never, I could have never predicted if someone told me like, oh, the first thing you'll ever produce is a documentary on adults with autism. I would have been like, what are you even talking about? Like, that's insane, you know? Um, And I think it's important when you have that calling, that nugget, that thing that's there poking at you to lean into that and to go, if it's seven years, however long it is to get to the other side, because whatever's on the other side is very rewarding. I, I, mean, I mean, I would be curious, what are then the, on the other side of that experience, some of the biggest takeaways that you had that you now bring into this next chapter of your journey? You know, I, I think at my age, I felt I had the confidence to walk in to just about anywhere because I've been just about anywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I said to a few filmmakers early on, you know, when I was starting to get pushback on a budget or pushback on a contract um, and, you know, they bring in their, their male lawyer to kind of let me know what I should know. And I'd be like, yeah, okay. So I've been in front of a few firing squads. This is not my first rodeo in that respect. This mm-hmm. might be my first time putting this kind of film together, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. So I think you, you do at my age, I'm 60 now, you have had life experiences that you can bring to the table that um, uh, help you sort easily, not easily, let's say in the moment, be able to sort through where uh, where you are on a thing. Um, I don't think that, um, I don't know how I would have done in this business at a younger age. I'm not sure. Hmm. I, I, am a, I am an Enneagram 8 Scorpio. So people do tell me that I'm... Wait, when you know, is your birthday? November 9th. Okay, I'm the 21st, so I'm a cusper. <gasps> so my husband, so you're a cuspy. I'm a cuspy. Yeah. Yeah, two, uh, two of my family members, there's five of us, two of uh, three of us are Scorpios. So I grew up in a Scorpio, very moody house. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's all true. All of it's true. Um, <laughs> and I'd laugh. I, I'm, it took a Scorpio to call a Scorpio a Sagittarius. That's what I, had. <laughs> I was I like, you're it. not, you're not a Scorpio. Yeah. But uh, I think to the other piece that I bring to the table is through the work I did with homeschooling um, and my son's autism program, uh, this work was very personal because it's people working with your children. Mm-hmm. So you don't have time to mess around with, um, you know, bullshit. You don't yes. have time to mess around with someone saying, I don't think what, I don't think what your child's saying is correct. You know, that's not how that went down. You only mm-hmm. have one option there and that's you believe your child and you're gone. So right, right, right. I, I feel like that skill, that ability to kind of sniff out the crap right off the bat is a skill set that I bring to producing. Um, I, I, I hear all the passion. I hear all the, the uh, these filmmakers who have these passion projects and these films and they, you know, they want you to buy into the passion. I'm 100 percent there. If I wasn't invo- interested in that particular passionate, you know, big issue or whatever, I wouldn't be talking to you. Um, But what I care about is, are you feeling as responsible and, and of, of all your stakeholders in this film project as I do? Cause if Mm. you don't, then we also can't work together because I care deeply about my money that I invest in films. I care deeply that you care deeply about my money that I've invested in this film. Um, you know, I worked hard 
for what I have to be able to have the luxury to invest in films and take these kinds of risks. Um, you want me to care passionately about your project. You need to care passionately about me as a person working on this project. And by so, and, and can we work together and collaborate as a team? You know, knowing that at the end of the day, what we want is a great film that we can yeah. all feel proud of, that we can all know that goes out into the world and people are going to respond to it. And, you know, and, and you're going to get the impact or the whatever you're wanting filmmaker as, uh, as your um, prize is not the right word, but as the result of all this result. hard work. Right. Yeah. So I, I feel like that those skills early on skills I built are now what makes me uh, a confident filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, they're transferable. I always say like, there's the, there's the language, there's the vocabulary, there's all the nuances you can learn, but it's ultimately a people business. And if you've been navigating people and challenging situations and, and conflict and being uncomfortable and being in rooms you don't belong, especially as a woman, like you don't have the experience, there's always something you don't have, like you are going to be primed for that. We always say like producers are, in my opinion, people that could be dropped anywhere and figure shit out. Like they're just mm -hmm. going to do that, that they're just survivors in that sense. You know, um, they just have that fire for, for life. Uh, often I find, and now having done so many of these, there's definitely a, th a commonality to the, the genetic material that makes up the kinds of humans who gravitate towards this work. And I've often wondered if I were to leave the business, like what could I do? But like the skills that I have as a result of my work, I could go into any industry, frankly, would I want to, that's a separate conversation, <laughs> but like you could, it's really transferable. And I, I do think it's one of the, one of the upsides of doing this work and really like working with artists, working within this business that's full of ego, like that definitely prepares you <laughs> to navigate most circumstances. Cause like I said, it's just humans trying to figure it out. And then you throw art in the middle of it, oof, which is so subjective. It gets very complicated. I think that's why Hollywood is off center and you have to be a person who's not all 100% normal to, to really be like, yeah, I get it's hard and impossible. I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> you know, right? like, right? like, I'm gonna yeah. go for it anyway. So and I think that's what you just said is so important, Carolina, because I say this to young people that we, you know, especially you mentioned the wave grant, and uh, we just had yeah. a, a download with our last class. And, you know, one of the things I say to them, okay, so you've now produced directed and made a short. It's really hard. I don't care what side of the fence, anywhere you are, getting that accomplished is very hard. Um, so now that you've done that, step back and ask yourself, if you could do anything else other than make films, what would you do? And if you can think of something else besides doing this, which is hard work, then go do that. Yeah. And be okay with that because, you know, life is short. Life is meant to be lived, not in an entitled way, but in a way that you say, I just get really passionate. Like I think all night about dog sitting, then go be a dog sitter because that and do it awesome, right? Do it great. It's important. You're dealing with people's pets, right? What could be more important than making sure that people's pets are walked and fed and cared for and loved, right? I, I, I just think that would be incredible, right? So that's what I say to people is, yeah, I, I love what I do. I loved what I did before. Is it easy? No, some days were really hard. I mean, I used to say to my kids, are you sick of me? Because I'm really sick of me. It's just been that kind of a day, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it's... um as you said, that you get that film done, you know, you standing at the premiere, everybody's crying. It's like, you know, it, it's sort of that analogy of when you stand up and you um, collect your Olympic medal or your whatever, and the tears that people have, it wasn't easy getting there. Yeah. And, and the other thing with women, and I really, I mean this, and this is why I'm loving working with you is, we have to be each other's advocates. We have to support each other at whatever age we're at, whatever skill level, um, because being in competition with, the, with, 
with each other is not going to get us there. However we can help, however I can help, I will always do. Um, and sometimes that might mean I'm a bit challenging. Mm-hmm. I don't think helping means enabling, by by the right? way. I think that right. there's a, there's a mis- misunderstanding of like that helping someone along the way is is just being coddling them. And I actually don't think we prepare anyone, women especially, for the real world if that's what we're giving them. I very much subscribe to tough love and really holding people to a certain standard that the world is going to hold them to. It's not you. It's everybody else's expectations, right? I think that's really important. And, you know, there's something that you said that I find interesting because since you didn't start out in this business, I have observed a lot of the older women in our business be less inclined to want to help newer generations coming up because how hard it was for them, right? Because of how much they had to do to pave the road so that now I can sit here and have this cool podcast where I talk to other women and other women get to have, you know, an easier go at it. And there is this thing of like, it shouldn't be harder for me just because it was that hard for you. We should be making it better every time. But again, making it better doesn't mean coddling women or people. But in the, in the previous life you had before you shifted more into this role, did you also feel that, like, I'm curious if outside the entertainment industry, did you also feel like maybe women that you looked up to that were older than you were sort of roadblocks to things that you wanted to do versus helping you? Yeah, it's, it, it's just such a rich question. I really appreciate it. Um, I would, I'm going to offer you a little sort of personal insight I had for myself recently um, because I was... Uh, I'm involved in many different films, many different filmmakers, a lot of them women at all different age levels. Um, And uh, I was really very upset about uh, a a group of particular filmmakers that I've had some uh, interactions with that probably weren't as nice as people might want sometimes. And um, I was really kind of lamenting about like, God, you know, these women, you know, these filmmakers, they're in that certain age group and they just think they know everything. And they, I'm sick and tired of being lectured about like how to make a film. I know how to make a film. And then I stopped and it was like, oh my God, I was that person. When I was 35 to 45, I knew everything. (laughs) I was the hottest person on the planet. I had it all going on. My kids were amazing. I was doing all this great stuff. I couldn't wait to tell people what book they should read and what (laughs) show they should watch and how they should conduct their life. I was that person. I was the Gen Xer of that age group when I didn't have a Gen anything. We weren't, we were the last (laughs) of the baby boomers. So we just didn't count anywhere. um, So I get it. Like I really truly get it from a very deep level. You get to that point in your life. It's, um, it's just before midlife and midlife crisis is not a joke. Uh, so I get that space. So I really appreciate it, but there's also a space where there's so much competition in that. And I, I can't fault that either because we've been forced into that in a lot of ways mm. um, that the only way to get ahead in anything is to compete with other women so that we can get the attention of men so that we look like we know what the hell we're doing so that we'll get hired at this place or we'll get finally offered a seat at the table or, you know, whatever. And so I, I don't know how to overcome that. Only all I know is that the awareness of it has really helped me get even more solid in my wanting to continually support, no matter how difficult it gets, other women in the industry in whatever age. And, and the older women, I, I really also can relate to because as you get older, it's very easy to get um, marginalized. It's very easy to get pushed out. Oh, you're, yeah. you're not young anymore. You probably can't possibly know what the newest, latest ways to make a movie are, right? Um, yeah. But yet there's so much sage and so much um, wisdom in their experiences that they don't get an opportunity to share or or people will listen to so they they get uh, they get you know bitter they they feel they've been just at the height of their career just when they then they've really experienced a lot they get pushed aside because they're not young yeah. anymore and uh, so those those are very they're very different spaces but I can appreciate both because I'm now in both 
But I think it's it's important that that comes for all of us, right? Like right. I may be in my mid thirties now, but I will blink and cause life goes by so quickly to your point that I will be 50 and I will be looking at women coming up under me. So it's like, how do you start entering this, this stage of your adulthood already having that awareness of like, gee, like I'm probably going to feel this one day too, because that's just the way the game is set up and we're trying to change it. But so how can I have grace and compassion now mm-hmm for people ahead of me, because one day I'll be there too. How do I lead with grace and compassion and teach the younger generation that the 19, 20 year olds coming up under me. So when they're 35, they're treating me how I, you know what I mean? Like, how do we create that system? And I I think it's just little tiny, tiny movements every day that we can do to, um, to be the, the change. It sounds so cheesy, like a slogan, but to really be like the, to practice this stuff, I I get really upset sometimes that I feel like there's a lot of great slogans and intentions and people clinking glasses at festivals and places talking about all of this stuff that's super sexy and fun and like, yes, like queen, let's empower each other. But then like when the real time comes to do that work, it isn't sexy. It, nobody's going to take notice. It's behind the scenes. It's small or huge it's can be all sizes are people really are women then taking the opportunity when those moments present themselves to actually be a part of that change and that's a question I offer up to the listeners I don't have the answer to that I sure can only speak for my own my own life and I take responsibility for how I show up and I always say who you are in the work that we do as producers, as any, and as filmmakers, as people in the entertainment industry should never differ from who you are in your own life. Like it shouldn't be these two separate identities of self. If this life is so short, you only get the one life, you're going to navigate this journey. How do you show up for yourself and for others from that lens and being a person of integrity, being a woman of integrity? Right. All of that is wonderful. <laughs> you know, there's two really important things that you're saying, Carolina. One is that you accept yourself as a female, you accept yourself in this world, you're in the entertainment business. There are loads of things that we are wanting change um, and how do we get that done? And Joe and I got to a point attending all the festivals and the brunches and all the stuff where they would have panels to talk about how are we going to create this change? How are we going to get more voices of um, underrepresented women voices into this space of filmmaking? How are we going to do this? How are we going to get people of color? How are we going to get their their, um, stories told? And Joe and I said to each other, why don't we stop asking that question and why don't we just do it? And that's how the wave grant was born. So let's just do it. So we we didn't start it so that we could get accolades of look what we're doing. This didn't feel like a risk to us. You know, people are like, that's pretty risky putting money into, you know, first time filmmakers. Yeah, it is. It's hugely risky. You're going to lose all your money. So just grant it and get your tax write off and help people that way. Right. So that's why we did the wave grant. And in the process of this, we have helped four women bring their stories to life. And now that's not four million women, but imagine the ripple effect of four women, right? Right. You've impacted the lives of people around them, their peers, right? And then they go out with the same attitude and then they, the ripple effect gets bigger and bigger. And that's what you're Mm -hmm. talking about is you're giving me the opportunity as an older woman, new to the profession of producing, but has, you know, I have a great library of work we've done. You're giving me the opportunity to come and talk to you about this. That's huge, right? That's that I'll, I'll say to people, Oh, if you want to get on Carolina Grappa's podcast, you should. It's an amazing experience, right? Because you get to talk about what it really feels like as a woman to be producing and working in this industry. If I if this podcast affects one woman and she she's out there and she's young and she's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I'm building relationships with other women. That's Imagine it. that. Right. That's it right there. So I think sometimes we get into this mindset that we have to change the world with one thing. If you just do one thing, you can begin to change the world. So it's just flipping that idea is what does it take to really create change? And, you know, so I, there you go. You're doing it. Yeah, no. Well, well, thank you. That's, 
I really appreciate those those kind words. It's it's why I started the show is to create a sense of community and if it can reach a couple of people or a couple hundred or a thousand people and they can find themselves and see themselves and hear themselves in this journey or it gives guidance or something that they aren't getting elsewhere, I, I'm grateful because that's that's what I wish I had my younger days coming up, you know, and so I, I feel really fortunate I get to sit in this privileged position where I get to share space with women like yourself and other incredible people who come on the show to capture a little bit of their stories and share it with everyone because there's so much reward in the work we do but it is so hard and I I never want to shy away from that I I don't ever want people to just see my highlight reel my wins and just I know that sometimes that is going to cause sadness in people because of their own journey and their own comparisons to what others are doing and how far they've gone in their career. And I've only been, you know, all of that self-comparison stuff. Like I still struggle with that, even though by so many people's standards, I've made it or whatever, you know, like that's what our business does to us. It's like the sickness of it. And I am aware of that, but I want to remind people that like, it's like, it's just part of that human journey and that it's okay to, when we talk about having grace, it's like having grace with others, but also having that grace with yourself. And I, and this is me like talking therapy to myself right now, because I, I constantly go through this cycle where I have to really, really take a step back at my own life and my own career to even acknowledge how far I've come and how much work I've done and how much what I'm doing matters and it matters to somebody and I may not be on any list or I may not be getting awards or whatever the thing is that one deems uh, that that would quantify their worth in this business. But there is value and there is tremendous um you know, like learnings that I that I bring. And so I have to constantly zoom out my own my own life and just make sure I'm checking in with myself. So I don't get caught up in, like I said, the sickness and the bullshit of this business that keeps you hungry, keeps you going. It's great in that sense. But it can also crush your spirit a little bit sometimes, especially when your self worth can be tied up in your professional aspirations, which a lot of people in entertainment kind of are that's why they gravitate towards it, frankly. Um, and so I love that this this show has become, from what others feed back to me, a reprieve from that and a place to talk candidly about this stuff um, because it's the struggle is real. And, and, and I think on that note, I would just love to switching gears into the struggle with you. You know, you've, you are now 60. You've gone through so many life experiences, obviously, but moments where you've wanted to give up, moments where it didn't feel worth it to you, whether through the pursuits of producing or anything else you may have been doing, in how you weathered that storm within yourself, what is it, what was it that kept you going, kept you showing up and pushing through? Hmm, that's a really amazing question. So let me let me have some thoughts because it's not always one. It's not always one answer, you know, it's a, it's a know, loaded question. Yeah. It's no, no, a it, very big but, question. But you know, it, it comes with various, as you just said, it comes with various decades of experiences, right? So there were decades where, um, I, you know, I had major life experiences happening, but therapy wasn't an option, right? Mm. You just had to be tough as nails. And, and, you know, I think sometimes that I laugh about being an Enneagram 8 Scorpio, but sometimes that carried me through. Sometimes it was like, you know, if anyone's going to trust me right now, it has to be me and Mm. I have to feed myself. So I'm going to figure out how to feed myself. Um, I have to figure out how to get from here to here with no money. So I have, I had real life experiences where I had a, I wasn't always, um, kind to myself, but I had to rely on myself. Mm. That was one big learning. Then when um, therapy became a thing through life experiences, I, I have over the years, and this is many, many years now, built a team of people that I can rely on to bring my, my authentic self to the table. Because the one, the one thing that you do realize, and I, I know this is a social media world, but I have learned to be very selective about where I put my personal stuff 
you know, over the years, you start to eliminate friends and, and, um, and, you know, distance yourself from groups because they're not health. They're not healthy for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my word I used to always use is if they're not nutritious, then why? And I've become very selective. You know, Instagram is a place where you always just put all your happy news. Right. Right. And you know, I'm okay with that because I don't need the world knowing what my struggles are. I have done that in the past where, you know, I had a death in the family. I wasn't on social media for a while. Then I came back and I actually got kind of reprimanded for not putting my personal journey out there about what was going on with this death in the family. And I thought, okay, never again. I have never put my personal information out on social media ever since because Mm -hmm. I realized that's not a nurturing place. Yeah. When you have a death that we went through, I I didn't know you weren't there for me because if you weren't there for me, not on social media, then you weren't there for me. Right. So you, you learn at my age, you're very selective about who you pour your heart out to. Where do I go to when I need sageness, when I need some kind words. Um, And uh, I think that's made all the difference. And I I really feel for young people that put all their life out there on social media and they get canceled or they get abused by, you know, stalkers. And I just am like, oh, my God, Uh, you'll learn. Eventually you'll learn that that's not the place to make friends. Um, And in the end, when I get to 60, the friends I have mean so much to me because we've had the tensions and the conflicts and the time to sort and the time to kind of put things back together. And so I only live my life going forward with people I trust. I am perfectly happy to be in large groups of people. I mean, obviously we have great partners and great friends and, and I've been to all kinds of events and I I love, you know, in the end, I still love the filmmakers I work with, but they're not my best friends. I got plenty of best friends. And, and I think that's a distinction that's hard for young people to make is my work is all my best friends. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know about that. So Mm. that just takes decades of, of really tough times. But do you feel like when you were younger, did you already have that wisdom about you or did it take like some experiences to understand that? I think that that is part of that journey. I think especially this industry makes you feel like everyone's your friend and you are in this sort of camp kind of feeling, especially when you're in production and you learn sometimes the hard way that it's not, you know, it's people, people have mastered wearing certain masks that they need to wear to get what they want. Um, And that is really painful. Like I have suffered tremendous heartbreak and grief in this business over people and friendships and relationships. And like, especially as a Scorpio that I still grapple with it, you know, and I, I had another producer on the show some a while ago, Laverne McKinnon, who, she came into my life because she actually does grief counseling work with producers mm-hmm. about the business because sometimes you'll invest years of your life into a project, a person, a thing, whatever, and then that falls apart and it's supposed to be like, all right, well, pick up, go to next next project, next thing. That didn't work. Put it away. And it's like so jarring because to do this work requires a full investment of yourself into the work, you know, that it's that is what makes it really toxic sometimes is how do you separate the self from the work because you do the work because you love it so much and it can can just really dominate every other aspect of your life and when something does not pan out like that those hits are really hard to come back from you know a really hard uh super hard and and i would add at those were the junctures where i was i had to rely on myself Take what you can learn from that. Obviously, find grief counseling. Find find that space, your paid friend, whatever you want to call it, that you can pour your heart out to. But it as that in that process, what have I learned? What I've learned about myself? What I've learned about trust? I mean, the the examples I have in my life where I should not trust anyone ever again, forever, are huge and vast. But I think as human beings, and especially in this industry, as women, 
we have an, we have a capital that we don't see is valuable and that's emotions. That's the ability to actually look at something and say, wow, that was really painful and know that that's actually a commodity. That's an essential mm. part of being in this industry is being able to understand and accept emotions because that's what we're all looking for in the stories we tell, right? Mm-hmm. How are we going to leave people in tears over this, right? Well, right. if you're not a person that can cry, how are you going to do that? How are you going to tell that story, right? Yeah. Um, I kind of think sometimes that's why filmmakers rely on violence. You know, mm. let's do excessive violence because we can't actually really. It's easier talk- to access. Yeah, right? it's easier to show violence and to access nuanced emotion. And I think emotional intelligence, people talk a lot about there's there's a value placed on other types of intelligence in our in our um, society that surpass emotional intelligence and somewhere it, they got separated but they're actually not like being a person who understands how to navigate emotions proper leadership actually comes from having the emotional intelligence like all of the biggest challenges i've ever navigated as a producer have always been because of emotions every yeah. single time how to talk to this person, how to navigate the situation with this person, how to say the words in the way that this person, like it's this person's feelings are hurt and we now have to do something about it. Right. Exactly. And you know, it, honestly, if you're a producer that can't, you know, have you ever watched broadcast news? It's been a while. It's been a while. Right. Yeah. But Holly Hunter starts her morning every morning with a huge sob. And I always thought, I thought that was so awesome because we as producers don't give ourselves that space to have the huge sob. Mm. Get your tears out. And then because you got a job to do as well. So there, there's a little bit of both going on there. So, you know, I used to say this about raising children, you know, people be like, you know, Jen, sometimes you come off as kind of a hard ass. And I said, here's the thing. When we're in the middle of a crisis with your kids, you don't have time to sit there and say, I just need a moment to express my feelings here right now. I have to tell you, this is really hard, right? It's really hard, but you got three little kids that you got to deal with right now. So you have to go find your place later. I think there's a tendency in this universe right now to believe that we all need to be uber out with our emotions all the time. Right. And I don't know about that as a person my age. Okay. If that works great. I don't know how that works because you know, I look at the pandemic, for example, it, it's been very hard. Somebody yeah. said to me, I haven't seen anyone or done anything in a year. I said, no, neither has anyone in the whole world yeah. been able to do that. Right. So there's a sort of world concept we have to have about ourselves in the middle of trying to make a film, you know, and sometimes with me raising kids where we have to go find our place. Absolutely. You've got to, you've got to accept those emotions that you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. But you also have to be able in the moment to be able to figure out when can I deal with that? I can't deal with that right now. I have to deal yeah. with this. That That is producing. If that's not a process that can work for you, then sometimes maybe you shouldn't be producing because it's tough. It's hard. You sometimes yeah. do go, I have to go talk to this uh, talent person right now who's had a meltdown because they didn't have the right fizzy water in their room. And sometimes you got to do that, right? Is it ridiculous? Yes. Is it, but you've just paid this person a lot of money and you know, you've got investors to protect, you've got a director to support, yeah. you've got a cast and a crew that you have to make sure you're taken care of. Sometimes you got to say at midnight when I'm done, I'm going to have a good cry yep. because some of this is bullshit, right? That's right. <laughs> a lot it's of it just, is bullshit. A lot of it is bullshit. <laughs> so it's accepted. Right. Acceptance, I find, and you'll see this in the film we did with our son. We didn't come by this honestly, but the piece we learned that was so powerful for us in the program we did for him was about accepting him. And Mm. if you can accept a person with autism, as you know, producing the film, you know, that's, that's a big space. It's tough. Those are tough people. Those are tough kids. So it's, it's back to what you talked about a lot. What's your definition of success? What is, what is it about you that is passionate about what you do? How can I can take care of myself in the moment the way I need to? 
Um, and how can I feel that I've done the best job possible, no matter what the feedback sometime is around you? I would say that I could make all those statements after 60 years on this planet, but I could have made it at 35 or 40. I would have been a, a wreck over certain things. So I appreciate the time to be able to speak. I call it my, at my company, I call it, okay, I've done my sage on the stage bullshit. I'm, <laughs> I'm stepping off, right? Being able to tell a good story is part of your job. And being able to know a good story is part of your job. It's what we do at Wavelength all the time is, you know, we get pitched a million stories a, a week. I, I'm exaggerating, but a lot of stories a week. And people are like, how do you pick what you do? And I'm like, you know, it just, it just jives with all of us. We yeah. all go, oh my God, we got to tell that story, right? And why Wavelength? Where does the name come from? It comes from... Um, so I'm very fortunate in my life uh, to be uh, owner of a sailing yacht. Nice. And we call it Wavelength because in the fa our family, it comes with a lot of layers. We're the West Falls, the W. We like to wave a lot from our boat. We're all kind of on the same wavelength. So we have a lot of fun with that name. And honestly, I was on board my boat working through a film idea with somebody who turned me down. And I was devastated. And then I thought, maybe the story I want to tell is not the story I'm supposed to tell. And that's what got me started on telling, started on telling our son's story. And that was all aboard our boat. So I thought, all right, let's go with the name. Wavelength. It worked. Yeah, I love that. And so how long have you now had Wavelength Films? I'm going to say seven years. I'm not really sure, but I'm going with seven, seven. years. What is the future of this company look like for you then? Like you've got 20 more years, hopefully left in you of stories to tell. Hopefully, hopefully. Maybe, that's... maybe more. Who knows? People live to be a hundred. If you want to, maybe you'll just get tired of the bullshit by 80 and be like, I'm out deuces. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but I might get tired next year. So, hey, like, you don't all, know. All, all of it is fair. But assuming you've got another, you know, decade under you, what, what do you want that decade to be like? First of all, I want to build a company that has a culture that is uh, exciting for people who work at the company. Um, and we work really hard. That's part of our job. We've built this HR council. So we're I'm bringing in the best of the best and saying, okay, here's my vision of what our HR policies look like. But mm. you guys are the lawyers and the consult business consultants. You tell me, how do we build an HR policy that matches our values, but also gives guidance to our team in terms of, you know, how many days of, how many holidays do you get off and why, you know, all right, that stuff. Right, right. So, so we're building that out. So the culture is very important to me. It's very important to me to build a company where people are very proud, very excited. And I feel like we have just a killer team. They're just amazing people. And, and the other thing that I would like to do is continue to build the company out as a small studio where we are committed to the indie space, branching out into a uh, narrative space now. We have a commercial division, um, but it's all centered around our values around storytelling and not so much the, uh, I call it the quadruple bottom line, but not so much the money we make. It's more about the brand we're building. And can we all be proud that we were involved in, I mean, we have over 60 films in our library on our That's website. Incredible. And I, I feel proud of every single one we were in. And I've got a story about why or how or what what happened with all of those films, why we invested, why we got involved this way, why we produced this, how we helped this, what part of that story matters to us. So uh, as long as I'm able to do that, then I'll be very happy. Yeah, I love that. I would love to move on to the fun lightning round. So the first question is, what is a song that teleports you to a happy place? Oh, let's see. Wow, what a great question. So I love Elton John, Funeral for a Friend. Just, in my, my opinion, just one of the greatest songs of all time. I know every word. What is the latest piece of art that moved you? It can be a book, a film, a show, etc. I love the show Hacks. I would say Ted Lasso. Everybody says Ted Lasso. But Gene Smart and Hacks, I just want my glass of wine. And I just sat, I've watched Hacks four times. I, I just love it. 
it, it, you want to talk about an older woman with experience, she just says it all. And I, I really relate to everything and I, I cry, I laugh. And I, like I said, I watched it four times. Same. And that show really hit me. Great. And, and I love that it exists. I'm glad it's out there for people to mm-hmm. discover when they're ready. Fill in the blank. When I'm overworked, blank helps ease the stress. Pinot Noir. I love Pinot Noir. <laughs> I have a very specific taste in Pinot Noir. I have a lovely collection. What is your taste? What do you like? I have um, a couple of wineries from Oregon in the Wilmot Valley. That yeah, Wilmot Valley just- Pinot. That's what I was going to say. It has to be. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Good so my couple glasses of Pinot Noir just really helped me. Love it. Okay. What is one of the most worthwhile investments you have ever made? And it doesn't have to be financial. I would say the most worthwhile investment we ever made was in the program we did for our son, Kyle. Um, that that experience, uh, again, that's one of those things where you don't know what you're doing. You don't know why you're choosing it. It's like, again, why, why did we get connected? All of a sudden, there are these signs. Same thing with this program. Just kind of came into our lives. Um, but the what we learned as a family, it changed all of us forever. Yeah, I love that. So this is the final question of the lightning round. And this is borrowing from Inside the Actor Studio, which is one of my favorite shows coming up. The question that was inspired by the famed French journalist Bernard Pivot that he asks his guests at the end. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Thank God you're here because we have desperate need of Scorpios. <laughs> I love that. I love everyone who works in the field of caring for humans. And I'm okay that my place in the world of caring for humans is to be their loving challenger. And I think God's going to be very excited when I show up because probably going to be in need of a few people to set some, set some th- things straight. Yeah, so. I love that. Hopefully you get a nice little pillow and a blanket and just end the supply <laughs> like, of Pinot Noir. Take a nap. First, come just enjoy yourself. And then there's a lot of people that could use some good talking to. (laughs) Have your glass of Pinot. And I got a few people we got to straighten out. Yeah. Yeah. And we got a lot of work to do. It's going to be forever. (laughs) I love that. Well, I, again, thank you so much for taking the time. This is such a treat to talk to you and share this space with you. Learn a little bit about your journey. Carolina, it was such a pleasure. And I just want to say I look forward to us working together. I'm very excited by that opportunity. Yes, likewise. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. It's been a delight. Thanks so much for tuning in and doing this life thing with me. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I'm at Carolina Gropa, the show's at Angle on Producers, and I'll see you next week. Beijos.